I, I, re- I knew this morning that I wanted to talk about the, um, the upcoming year. And as I was thinking about it, I had this happy, happy thought run through my mind. And that was this, that the upcoming year, many people have a feeling of, there's a, a, an overwhelming sense of fear, of anger, and of division. And so I wanted to try to validate my thoughts a little bit. I asked my friend Google, how do people feel about 2020? First three pages, no, no lie, every result was about the election. Anger and fear about the election. So I kind of speculated that the phrase, or the numbers, 2020, became synonymous with the election. So I changed the query. And I said, how do people feel about the upcoming year? I got three pages of resolutions and things that people want to change about themselves and about the world around them. And coupled in with those those resolutions were tied into these ideas of sadness and depression. So after my very scientific validation process, I concluded that people are afraid and that people are sad, and that they want change, and they don't want to do it alone. And so I'm not up here to bum you out. The rest of this is going to be all around the corner and uplifting and encouraging. The greatest change agent in all of history is Jesus Christ. He came to people who were scared and who were looking for change, and he said, do not be afraid. It is I. He came to people who were lonely and sad, and said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I will be with you until the end of the age. And Jesus' chosen vehicle of change is the church in all of its various expressions. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that as I share with you who and what we are as Crossroads, that it would not only encourage you, but it would empower you to go out and to literally start the process of changing the world around you. So we're just gonna, we're gonna jump right into this, and when, when I think about Crossroads, I kind of refer to this as the rhythm of Crossroads. If we do these handful of things that I'm gonna talk about, we will stay in step with God. We will march to his cadence. And the first one is our motivation. It's our why. The most important thing we need to figure out as people, as a community is why. Why do we gather, right? Why do so many of you sacrifice your time, your resources, come together? Why did I leave behind a corporate career almost 20 years ago? Why did I leave behind a corporate career? Because God first loved us. In a couple of the songs we sang this morning, that point, that point was made. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got cleaned up, not once we changed, not once we were perfect, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the the arc of the entire story of the Bible. It's God's action and our response. God chasing us, wanting to be in relationship with us, reaching out to us, Regardless of how you feel about yourself this morning, regardless of how 
other people feel about you. God loves you. And he loves you to the point of being willing to die for you. So I'm going to spend varying amounts of time on each one of these. But just because I'm moving off of our why, it's still, like, our, we have the most rock-solid foundation why that there is. And that's in the fact that God first loved us. Unshakable, unchangeable, that is always going to be there. Um, so our what? what? What is our what? Love God, love others. Right? And that, that comes from this verse in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. Jesus is being questioned by a, a religious leader said about what the most important commandments are. This should be, if you guys have been around Crossroads for even a little bit, this should be pretty familiar to you. About the commands, Jesus says this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love God, the first part of this. This is what we will always be about, right? This is our foundation. If you ever get confused or turned around about your personal mission, your personal purpose, our purpose as a church, it's this. It's to love God. And when we love God, we, we are free from so much else because we can love him without fear of rejection. We can love him without fear of betrayal. We can love him without fear of abandonment. He first loved us. So that frees us from things like pursuing other, pleasing other people. That, that frees us from having to put our faith and our trust in a significant other. It frees us from trying to put this curated life out on social media so it looks perfect. It frees us from looking to a candidate or a political party to save us because God already has. Because God already has. We cannot... So this, this is not about, right? Loving God is not about doing for him. It's not about doing more for him. Loving God is about recognizing who he is and appreciating who he is and what he's already done. And we, we can't do that going 1,000 miles an hour. We can't go 1,000 miles an hour, give God a quick glance, and then fully appreciate all that he, all that he is and all that he does. We have, to, we have to slow down. We spent the, um, we spent the month of December focusing up, trying to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we did that in three different ways. We made a commitment to each other that we would do our best to be here every Sunday morning. We made a commitment to fast each and every Thursday, whatever that looked like. Some of us gave up food. Some of us gave up coffee. Some of us gave up our, the, the mindless scroll on our phones. And people were touched, and they experienced God in new and different ways. And we also participated in uh, an online Bible study together in which we read a thought and some scripture and then provided some, some feedback to it, all in an effort to slow down and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And then the Sunday before Christmas, um, I shared with you a book title, and it's all about these, the ideas of silence 
and solitude as ways to slow down so we can appreciate God for who he is, so we can love God. And I bought 10 copies of the book, and we sold them for half price out front, and they sold out. They went. That Sunday, a very generous community member said, buy one for everybody in the church and make sure everybody gets one. And we gave them out last week. If you weren't here last week or you didn't get one, please put your hand up. Our ushers will, will bring one out to you. It's a book by a guy, uh, his name is Pete Scazzaro. And he has done lots of work personally on this idea of slowing down and, and enjoying solitude and enjoying silence. And this book is his attempt to put some real handles on those practices so that we might, we might actually practice them. So as we intentionally slow down and we fix our eyes on Jesus, I would leave you with this thought about that part. People with eyes fixed on Jesus, they don't stay broken, they don't stay fearful, and they don't stay angry. Fix our eyes on Jesus. We look, we look up. When we put, <clears throat> when we put all, of our, all of our trust, all of our hope, when we love God before everything, more than everything, we are freed from, so we, not even death can take that from us. Not even death can separate us from the love of God that we have in, in Christ Jesus. He loved us first, we love him in return. And that, that love allows us to love others. That's the second half of our what? Love others. And I want to concentrate, kind of given the state of the world in which we live in right now, I want to concentrate in the specific way in which Jesus defined this. And in Luke chapter 6, he said this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies, give to your enemies, pray for your enemies. The people, the people who have a different opinion than you, the people who disagree with you, the people who might be ungrateful towards you, the people who would even want to do you harm. We're to pray and bless. What is that? How do we even get there, right? How do, think about, think about our current, the current world in which we live current social, political, cultural climate. We, I just was talking about we need to slow down, right? We are always in a hurry. We are impatient. We are self-centered. The only time we think about other people is when we're envious. We are, we are wrapped up in ourselves to the point where we would, we would lie to make the other side look worse. And, and bend the truth to the point of breaking it to make ourselves look, look better. We look at those who disagree with us and we think they're, they're worthless. What, let's just, you know what? I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to move on. Just, they're worthless. It's, that's the world in which we live, and it's so easy to get caught up thinking that if I don't retaliate, if I don't think and like, then I'm going to get torn down. I'm not going to have. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Jesus directs us in the exact opposite direction. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love your enemies like that. Not just man and woman on their wedding day, 1 Corinthians 13. Man and wife on their worst day. You and your neighbor who are in opposite political parties. Right? You and your, your child who you just can't seem to agree with anything. Love your enemies like Paul describes in 1 Corinthians. If we were to live like that, if, if these verses were the planks of our own personal political platforms, what would happen, right? What would, what would the, the world look like? I want to read you um, a story. It's a little bit, little bit lengthy, but I think it, it's worth it. It's a story from the, the Revolutionary War. It's about George Washington, an elderly pastor, and kind of this elderly pastor's nemesis. In the book, The Grace of Giving, author Stephen Alford tells the story of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. The pastor, Peter Miller, lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and one of his dearest friends was General George Washington. In the town of Ephrata, there also lived a spiteful troublemaker named Michael Whitman, who did all he could to oppose and humiliate Mr. Miller. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to death. When he heard the news, Peter Miller set out to Philadelphia to plead for the life of his enemy. After walking 70 miles on foot, Miller petitioned his friend, General Washington, to spare Whitman's life. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. Friend? He's not my friend. He's my bitterest enemy. He has persecuted me for years. He has even beaten me and spit in my face, knowing full well that I would not strike back. Michael Whitman is no friend of mine. Washington was puzzled. And you still wish me to pardon him? I do. I ask it of you as a great personal favor. Why? I ask it because Jesus did as much for me. Washington turned away, walked into the next room. Soon he returned with a paper on which was written the pardon of Michael Whitman. My dear friend, he said, placing the paper in the old man's hand, I thank you for this. Peter Miller had a different perspective when it came to resolving conflict. He looked for opportunities to love others the way Jesus does. You and I are expected to do the same. Pastor Mitchell gave up his right to be offended. He gave up his right to self-protection. He put his own reputation at risk. He put his relationship with General Washington at risk. He put all of that. He, he sacrificed his own time, his own energy, his own resources for his enemy. And it changed the man's life. They ended up walking home together, and their relationship was forever changed. And we don't know what the downstream effects are. We don't know what became of Whitman. We don't know how that Washington said thank you, but we don't know how that impacted Washington and his faith. It's a great example of loving our, our enemies. When we love like Jesus loves, we no longer see 
Republican or Democrat. We no longer see gay or straight. We no longer see Muslim, Jew, or Christian. We see people created in the image of God who deserve grace and who deserve love. Love God and love others. Jesus took this ragtag group of people, none of whom were spectacular, really, in, in any way, shape, or form. And the only thing that they had in common was Jesus. Some of them actually were enemies. They're, they were on opposite sides of very divisive issues of their day. And they came together under Jesus' guidance and leadership and direction and love and care. It's a handful of people, and they changed the world. They literally turned the world upside down. What could a hundred people do? Leaving here with the mindset of loving God and loving others. Right? One person at a time. What happens? Right? Fear turns to courage. Loneliness turns to companionship. Division turns to unity. We have at our disposal an incredible power, right? When we're kids growing up and when we look at things like this canyon, we, we think about, the, we're taught, we think about the power of water, right? What water can do, its force, its power, when it moves, when it stays still, its power to change things, its power to shape things. We have at our disposal a power even greater than that. This is from a book called Jesus Untangled. If you have experienced the inexpressible power of God's love, you know what I'm talking about. It disarms you. It changes you from within. It fills your heart with unspeakable joy, impossible hope, and complete faith that the impossible is not only possible, but it is also extremely likely. You and I, as disciples of Jesus, have been handed the most astounding force of change ever devised, God's love. We have been changed by it ourselves, and the more we are exposed to it, the more we are changed daily into new creatures with new minds and new hearts. This love within us has the power to change the world. In fact, it is intended to do so. It was designed by the one who spoke the universe into existence to do just that. This love of Christ has the power to transform the hearts, renew the minds, and restore the souls of every person with whom we come into contact. Truthfully, no one is immune to the power of God's love. Some may resist it, some may deny it, they may run from it in fear, but the power of the love of Christ to soften the heart, renew the mind, and transform the soul is irresistible. And that's the power that we have when we head out into the world loving God and loving others. Jesus took those handful of people and did extraordinary things. Ordinary people changed by the love of Jesus do extraordinary things. And my expectations for us for, as individuals and for this community for the coming year and years is nothing less than this. That God would do extraordinary things in and through us as we yield to his love. This is what happened in the first church. Jesus took ordinary people and he did extraordinary things. 
And he, he will still do that today. And that brings us to um, our, our vision or our how, how we go about doing this thing. We, I've abbreviated this for the last year as look up, lean in, and reach out. The wordy version of it is to build a community where people can come to know and grow in Jesus in a way that draws others to him. And this is right out of scripture, right? The same thing happens in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And all of, it might be a little hard to read because it's small, but the, it's color-coded, right? One of the colors up there, the green represents up. The yellow represents in, and the pink represents out. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just like we've been talking about our morning, just like the new logo, just like every logo we've ever had, Jesus is right in the middle. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? They were teaching Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died innocently, rose triumphantly, he's going to come back. He was the fulfillment of everything that they had studied growing up as kids, of everything that they hoped for, everything that they expected. Jesus was at the center. They had their eyes fixed on Jesus. They lived in community. They were together. Everything they had was in common. They had a common point of unity, Jesus. And they were focused on him, and they were focused on each other. When one of them hurt, they were each other's consolations. When one of them had a success, they all celebrated together. They challenged each other. They supported each other. They encouraged each other. Everything they had, they had in common. And it was for the good of each other. Christian community then, Christian community now, is not easy. Life is messy, right? Jesus meets us in the middle of our mess. We're expected to do the same thing for each other. Sometimes Christian community requires sacrifice. Sometimes it requires difficult conversations. It means loving each other enough to say hard things. It, just like the guy in the story, risking a relationship because you have a greater hope for somebody. You know what the love of God can do in them if they were to fully submit to it. It's a challenge, right? But what was the result? What was the result? They, had, they were together and they had glad and sincere hearts. Hard as it might be, it was what they were created for, what we are created for, what we are called to do. And what was, the, what was the result? Everyone was in awe. God added to their number daily. People from the outside looking in saw a community focused on Jesus and 
other people. They saw individuals who were focused on something other than themselves. Individuals fixed, eyes fixed on Jesus, devoted to serving each other in good and in bad. And it was attractive and it drew them, it drew other people, it drew other people in. The night before he died, um, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's what changes people, that's what draws people. All right, now I know you've all been waiting to find out what we're going to do with those cards, right? The cards you wrote your name on. So the ushers are going to come forward with the basket, and you guys are going to take a card out, right? You're taking something out of the offering basket. That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> You're going to take one card out, and you are going to commit to pray for that person, the name, for the rest of the month of January. We spent the month of December focusing up, our eyes fixed on Jesus, Right, January, we're going to concentrate on in. Leanne's going to share some like, practical logistical stuff we have that we're going to share with you after the service. But right now, you have the most powerful tool at your disposal. God has given us this gift of prayer. Go ahead. You guys can come up and, and, and bring those. So on the off chance that somebody gets their own card, <laughs> just do me a favor. Turn around and ask the person behind you if you can switch. All right? Sound good? So go ahead and just pass the baskets out. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, go, don't go through them picking up. You can't just blind, blindly pick them, please. All right. Everybody clear on the, on the task in front of them? So take that card. For those of you who aren't, who aren't paper people, take a picture of it with your phone. Right? Maybe all of you should do that anyways, so just in case you lose it. At least once a day, pray for that person. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that they would experience God in new and powerful ways. Pray that they would have the courage to confess whatever sin might be in their life. Pray that they would know God's provision and his peace. But most of all, that they would know God's presence. All right, last part of the rhythm of Crossroads. This is going to sound weird, but right, what's our who? What's our who? Our unique kingdom contribution is how God has put Crossroads together, how he's wired us, what we are uniquely good at. Right, there are there are lots of great churches in this area that do lots of things well, right? You go to Vox Church and they have great teaching and worship with lights and smoke and all kinds of cool stuff. You go to Black Rock or Calvary and they have all kinds of resources and programs to offer. You go to Christ Presbyterian or the Apostles and you have like the, the beauty of, of traditional denominations without some of the baggage. You come to Crossroads and you have a real, authentic place to meet and connect with Jesus and to meet and connect with other people. Over and over and over, we hear that new people come in and visit and they find Crossroads to be welcoming. They find Crossroads to be, the people at Crossroads are real. That enables us to meet people where they are and help them move one step closer 
to Jesus. Wherever they are on their spiritual journey, people come in here far from God. They come in here hurt by the church. They come in here hurt by life. They come in here tracking with God and growing and and on fire in their relationship. Wherever they're at, we come alongside them and we help them move one step closer to Jesus. That is who we are. That is who God uniquely wired Crossroads to be, to do what he's called us to do. So folks, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus for guidance, for direction, mostly for his love, which he will chase us down with if we would just stop for a minute, if we slow down long enough to recognize him. We look up, we lean in with our whole bodies, with everything that we have, we lean in to each other for support and encouragement and challenge. Right, with our eyes we look up, with our whole self we lean in. With our feet we go and with our arms and hands we reach out to those who are in need. We do that, we can go into 2020 with courage and with peace and with hope. Each of us as individuals and each of us as individuals and as we pursue those things together, we can bring those things to the people around us. And we will change what is going on around us if we commit to doing those things. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you you do love us first. Before we before we look towards you, that you loved us, you loved us before you created any of this. You thought of each one of us as individuals and you loved each one of us. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that that love has the ability to fill us to overflowing. And it has the ability to change not just us, but those around us. So Jesus, we ask you to give us eyes to stay fixed on you. We ask that you would empower us and give us the courage to lean in towards each other. God, you ask, we ask that you would move us out into the world with your love. And that we would bring hope and peace and joy and change wherever we go, for your glory and for the growth of your kingdom. Amen.